that's not as enticing to me as more of, of like actually, you know, doing something for the community and leaving something for the younger generation that hopefully inspires and, you know, makes them want to create something as well has been much more important to me than, you know, creating a bunch of money via graph design. So that was Sebastian Garber, the senior designer at the Anchorage Museum. Sebastian has been a graphic designer for about 12 years now. And in that time, he's worked for large companies, small firms, and a magazine. He says that the most important things he's learned in those 12 years is being able to adapt to changing trends in design and communication, and the importance of a strong team. Sebastian is currently working on designing a typeface that includes Alaska native languages. It will be a typeface stripped of geographic references and that will encompass all the necessary diacritics. Diacritics are accent marks that indicate pronunciation. And when finished, it will become the official font of the Anchorage Museum. So here he is, Sebastian Garber. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum dedicated to exploring Alaska's identity through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and future. My name is Cody Liska and I'll be your host. And just so this is completely transparent, you and I grew up together and have been friends for a long time. Yes, quite a bit. (laughs) You know, uh, I was thinking about this as I was writing questions down, but I remember even as kids, you and your mom would always go to the museum. And even when you weren't living in Alaska as an adult, you and your mom would continue that routine of going to the museum. Yeah, it is. uh, It's every time I come home, my mom and I are always like, all right, what's going on at the museum Uh, ever since I was a kid. And uh, I'm grateful that I I work here and then I get get to like, you know, help out because it's throughout the years been a great place to come and visit and uh, really charge your brain up with some new ideas and uh, very thankful that uh, it's still here. So when you're working on a design project, do you have a specific process or approach or is it just complete mayhem? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it really depends on the project, but usually when I'm working on things for my job, you know, there's a time constraint. So, you know, if I'm at home, it might be a little loose but specifically for work i've always prided myself with being pretty quick and efficient uh having a brief is usually a great thing to fall back on if you are you know spinning wheels and you don't have an idea it's always great to go back and read a brief Mm -hmm. but that's usually where i start and if i don't have one then i'll like at least write down a couple things in like a text edit file for myself so that i at least have that and uh notebook and a pen are usually the fastest way to get you know an idea from your brain at least onto a piece of paper Mm -hmm. you know you can fumble around in like a design program which sometimes works sometimes doesn't depending on the project if it's a 3d space i think sketching out things are the most efficient way to do it at least to get an expression down and and then you know if you're working with a team having that that at least sketch to like go bounce off ideas with your teammates is a great way to 
you know, quickly get through a couple ideas to the right or at least close to the right uh, solution. Mm -hmm. And then you can go in and, you know, bring that into a computer and really like dial in the meticulous details, which I like. But I find that, you know, depending on what industry you work in, like really paper is usually the first place to go to. I have a piece of paper in front of me right now in a notebook <laughs> with these questions written down on it. Oh, nice. <laughs> I have a notebook and a pen with nothing on it right now, but uh, probably by the end, there'll be some, at least some scribbles of something. <laughs> Do you scribble like, say you know, we're, we're talking right now, or maybe you're on the phone and do you just do it just innately, you know, just kind of doodle? For sure. It's funny. If I get like nervous, I'll definitely just draw. I've been drawing flowers a lot lately, <laughs> uh, like in vases, which is uh, funny because, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not like, a, uh, I guess I am a flower guy. I do like flowers. Why not? I love flowers actually. Yeah. But I've been drawing a lot of those recently. I feel like flowers to an artist are one of those things that an artist feels like can never be drawn perfectly. You know, it can always be improved or it can always be done differently in a different, you know, format or different, you know, way of looking. It's true. I mean, still life is like, you know, one of the classics and it's one of the, not, I wouldn't say the first thing, but it's definitely one of the, the, uh, the beginning projects of usually any education as far as art goes and it usually starts with like you know a ball with a shadow underneath it and it's funny out of all the things that you choose to draw a lot of times i find myself just going back to like a ball on a on a flat piece of paper <laughs> mm -hmm. well i mean drawing like a perfect circle is is like impossible yeah it's pretty hard <laughs> super hard so the Museum director, Julie Decker, she was telling me about your recent work with designing a typeface that includes Alaska Native languages. What can you tell me about that? Well, yes. Uh, working on a typeface that the, the broad idea is to create a typeface that is stripped of any historical or specifically geographic references and that also celebrates and fills a need to render text in my opinion in a more beautiful way that you know encompasses all the uh they're called diacritics which are these um accent marks that specify how uh native languages are communicated and you know there's some typefaces that have these uh in them but uh a lot of them haven't really had the love that i think can be designed into mm -hmm. so that's uh, the over-encompassing idea of uh what we're embarking on and these diacritics they're like um am i saying that right diacritics yeah they are something like a like an umlaut that's above a a U in German, right? There or like a an enye above like an N in Spanish. Just to denote like how that letter is spoken. Yep. There's a couple different ones uh for guttural sounds, etc. There's two different 
forms of actually showing these in type and one is IPA, which is the International Phonetic Alphabet. And I think that's that's the broader encompassing use of text. And there's all sorts of crazy characters out there uh, in that form that, you know, some are actually very beautiful. And then there's APN, the American Phonetic Notation, which is more than likely what you're more familiar with, which is just commas and hyphens, et cetera. Okay. And the majority of Native American languages was set in APN. And there was a time there where they didn't really, there was no standard there. They were being set in both. But fortunately, the new standard, I would, it's not up to me to say, but majority of everything is set in APN now. And it seems like a lot that has to do with solely because of typewriters only had certain amount of, of lead characters inside of them mm -hmm. uh, to allow this. So the standard now is APN, at least that's what it seems. The Canadian government actually has uh, a typeface that, that encompasses all of their native languages. And there's quite a few actually that are still set in IPA. And there's some, some wild characters which they look beautiful, but unfortunately, if you know, if your phone doesn't have those characters, uh, it's not going to show up. But as technology, you know, develops, uh, more and more of those fonts more than likely will. Google specifically has like created a crazy font that has almost every language. I actually, I believe it might. I'd have to look, but uh, yeah, it's changing. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes a while to like really figure out the nuances, but uh, it's interesting that type can affect you in different ways and you don't realize it until you, you know, really, really sit down and study it. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fun little thing to get into. <laughs> it seems like one of those things that affects you more than you actually think until you actually start looking into it. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's a certain emotion that comes in different typefaces. Uh, a, a majority of the the major typefaces, such as Helvetica, come from Europe. You know, and the, the Americans have created some typefaces that have been uh, pretty pretty big, such as Gotham. And they uh, they all have their own emotions and uh, communicate in different ways. Yeah, it's interesting. To what extent do you think it's important for you as a designer to accurately and genuinely reflect the cultures and identity of Alaska? For me, while working here, I think my job is to communicate as efficiently as I can. And, you know, traditional museums have been a space that has been neutral and you know it's a white wall that you put a piece of art on and that art is usually what is being communicated i think that is changing and you know museums are becoming more proactive as far as communicating a opinion and or like a social change mm -hmm. for myself i tend to be uh, a little bit more neutral as far as as my communications go in my job 
and that's solely because I, I think I'm usually like a, you know, I'm hired as a person to take your message and push it. And that's my specialty as I, you know, I know which typeface to choose if it wants to be happy or a little bit stark or neutral or, you know, gritty or this or that. Until I start really working on my own projects, I think that's how I like to stay. Uh, and a bit of a, oh, how should I put it? A bit of a, not a mercenary. That's not the right. <laughs> Hired gun. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's more of a, not a utility. Uh <laughs> less of like my emotion injected and more of uh i just want to be the you know the the tool that you use to create what you want to communicate yeah it's like the um what is the word for that it's uh a conduit you want to be the conduit to which that idea comes to fruition yeah remember if there was a design or something you created when you were younger that made you think like yeah i could do this for a living and actually before you answer i wanted to say that i remember when we were kids you designed this sticker for my dad's snowboard and skateboard shop borderline the original logo for borderline included this swoosh and you bent the swoosh so that it looked like the big dipper do you remember that Yep. Uh, yeah, there was that. Uh, that was a good one. Uh, I still have that sticker in my truck, by the way. Oh, nice. There was a. I I bent the swoosh into a uh, into a heartbeat too. Like an EKG. Yeah, that was a good series. Could have bent the swoosh into all sorts of things. We should have kept going with that, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of the probably the not that I got paid for, it, but the first like, uh, like because I was working like at Indo at the time. My dad's skate park. Yeah, if everyone remembers the skate park, but so I guess I, I got paid for that in a way. Uh, yes, <laughs> so my first paid job was probably that T-shirt. I think the one with the EKG or the, yeah, the EKG. I think okay. Yeah. And so it was that one that you thought like, okay, I can make some money off this or I could do this for a living and I enjoy doing this. Yeah, for sure. I've always enjoyed drawing and, and I've always been a, in a, in a way like I like like clean lines and anything like I've always hated pencils. So, <laughs> uh, I like the commitment of, uh, of a pen and, uh, so it was only natural to like kind of go into graphic design rather than like be a painter or an illustrator or this or that, uh, which are all like insanely hard professions and much respect to anyone who's an illustrator or painter, uh, way harder than being a graphic designer. <laughs> uh, but uh, really like the cleanliness of like logo design and type. Yeah. So that was probably one of the first ones that opened my eyes to maybe this will work. Well, I wanted to say, you said that 
those professions are a lot easier than being a designer. One thing that I've noticed is that... Oh, no, the opposite. It's harder to be a painter than an illustrator. I'm sorry. That's what I meant to say, that, that those professions are harder than being a graphic designer. But I think that's because you've always been really good at it. You know, like if you're really good at something, you can't... Uh, not you say maybe you can't, but it's maybe difficult for you, the universal you, to appreciate how how difficult it can be. You know, and I and I actually come from the perspective of I'm not really good at graphic design, not in like the intuitive way that you are. Like you can look at something, and you can pull out your book and you can sketch it, and I at least have the mind to be look at that and then imagine what it can become, which I think I think is a talent. You know, to be like, all right, like, that's a super rough draft, like sketch. I see where you're going with it. But I can't always get what's in my mind on a piece of paper. You know what I mean? Yeah. As far as like drawing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and what's funny is you say that and then mine's the opposite. It's hard for me to get <laughs> to get my ideas. It's a lot easier for me to get ideas from my brain onto a piece of paper and like... Uh, <laughs> a abstract way or just like drawing it rather than trying to like talk about it which you know is always i feel like always a struggle for a designer is to talk about themselves and or you know majority of us are like funny introverts who you know sit at a computer <laughs> all day and or look at a piece of paper and yeah. actually like speaking uh about all of this is uh sometimes difficult you know there's some designers that are much better that at that than others and uh some that just like to you know do the uh the technical work but i think obviously you can learn how to put ideas down onto paper i think really when my opinion is, is when you're young like you know some people like to write some people like to draw and like if you decide to draw then you have that many more years of you know drawing experience before you ever even decided to go to school for it mm -hmm. and it's kind of just what you're into as a kid you know there's plenty of designers that you know didn't pick up a pencil until whatever it may be college and that are great designers now uh so you know i don't think it it is something that you have to like be into while you're a kid but you do gain those you know 14, 13, whatever years of like just drawing like dinosaurs. <laughs> and you do that stuff for yourself too. And I think that one thing that I've noticed in myself and I've recognized in other people is that, you know, you spend a certain amount of your life, like you said, in those early years, like doing whatever the thing is for fun, whether it's writing or math or drawing. And then you go into or a lot of the time you go into like an academic field and you do it and you learn how to do it, how everybody else has done it. Right. Yeah. And then you have to spend, you know, best case scenario, you, you are able to spend the rest of your life kind of remembering why you did it in the first place as a kid. And then also kind of cultivating what your personal style will look like. For sure. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's a couple different aspects to it and at least in in design you know the, there's so many different avenues and different career paths that you know the, everyone will need a certain technical skill uh, but i think also an important part of it is also the cultural part of it 
you know, if you want to get into the outdoor industry, you more than likely probably should be an outdoors person. Uh, or, you know, if you want to be successful, like in the snowboard industry, um, you know, you need to have that cultural background as well. Mm -hmm. You know, fortunately for me coming to the museum, I was already like in love with this museum and had, you know, plenty of experience here. So, uh, it felt like a right fit coming from the, uh, the private world. And I think that's also, you know, another piece of the puzzle to becoming a designer is also having that, that cultural, uh, library of references and, you know, visual cues, uh, that you've built up in either, you know, on a hard drive or your brain, you know, one or the other. <laughs> yeah. I think that, that it helps you, um, it's good because it's a reference point that yeah. you can look back and be like, Oh, I did this and this and this. And, and you keep kind of building your, your personal library. And then you know how to effectively deal with new problems. For sure. And, you know, going back to, you know, constantly evolving design changes fast and trends change and communication changes. And, as a designer, I think part of your job is to also keep up with that. Uh, you know, I try to take an approach that is less of my style and more of, uh, you know, what is current, uh, which is, it seems a, a little like funny to say, but that is the reality of like communication to the masses is it's really not about me. It's about, you know, what everyone else is doing. and. Uh, what is the most efficient way to communicate? You know, what is the technology uh, that is happening currently? And uh, staying in tune with that. Uh, you know, you obviously have to have you know, the technical skills to like be able to talk to that. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think consistently evolving as a designer is important. You know, and to your point about following trends, I think it also has to do with the fact that people recognize that stuff if it's like too you know crazy the design or the font or whatever then people will more often than not just kind of ignore it but if it kind of meshes already with what they're recognizing or what they're seeing on tv or whatever is in their circle their bubble their life bubble they will more easily gravitate toward it, I think. And then they'll be more receptive to that message. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think that's like a, that's a great way to, to really talk about, you know, you can either put your stamp on your design work and, you know, at that point, are you, are you really communicating uh, to the masses or are you kind of, you know, just creating a, in a way like a product that is yours and that you can only sell? Mm-hmm. You know, there are plenty of designers that do that and it's an efficient way to make a lot of money. <laughs> but I, I think that, you know, it doesn't really, I don't know, as I've gotten older, at least for myself, that's not as enticing to me as more of, of like actually, you know, doing something for the community and leaving something for the younger generation that hopefully inspires and, you know, makes them want to create something as well has been much more important to me than, you know, creating a bunch of money via graph design. So if you were to give anybody advice that is trying to make it in the design world or has like 
aspirations to make it in the design world, what would you say? What kind of knowledge would you uh, pass on? Uh, you know, are, are we talking Anchorage or are we talking lower 48? I guess there's a, it's a couple different ones. Maybe both. <laughs> uh, I would say if you're in school right now, learn all the, I mean, this is what they always say, but like, and, and I can't reiterate it more. Like even when I was in school, I was like, ah, do I really, you know? Uh, but it's important to learn just the classic graphic design of like creating a logo, creating a body of copy that, you know, looks nice, uh, learning type and really getting that down before you leave because, you know, you might want to jump into like what you're interested in and, you know, flex on like what your like style may be at the time. But I think it's a great time to really like dig through your professor's brains and really nail down the classic. With that said, <laughs> I think you should also during that time, hopefully explore the options that you have like that are depending where you are in america like what the the job market is like and what industry it is because it is much different depending on which city you're in you know you have like the northwest that has lots of like outdoor brands uh you have portland that has like every sportswear brand not every sportswear brand but quite a few big ones uh you know east coast has like traditionally large like big kfc and this and that uh, LA is, you know, more geared towards Hollywood uh, and fashion. So figuring out which lane you want to be in as far as the industry goes, and what you're interested in, and then really exploring that and, you know, finding a job, in my opinion, there obviously needs to be a job to fill. Also, like diving deep into that culture and meeting people, I think is long term, uh, really important. So, you know, one of the first jobs I, that I found in Portland was via chairlift. So, uh, <laughs> you never really know. At like a ski resort, you, you got it on a chairlift or you made the connection. Yeah. I made a connection that really, uh, that helped me out. And, and it's interesting how culture and what you're into and, who you know, really, I mean, it's like what you don't want to hear, but it really is like, it does help. And especially in a creative, creative realm where uh, it's really about, you know, emotion and communication, finding that, uh, that family of people that you work well with is, uh, there is no really like blueprint of finding that, you know? For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum. Music was produced by Keezy Baby.